Jesus stood among them and said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm Kara Cardell. And I'm Fred Schellebarger. And you're listening to My Lord and My God, Encountering Christ in the Eucharist. We would like to welcome a wonderful guest that we had the pleasure of meeting earlier this year when we took a trip to St. Louis. His name is Father Andrew Auer. We are very excited to have you join us. I think it's always good to bring in testimonies to talk about the Eucharist, to kind of break up like... We've been talking a lot mm-hmm. lately in lo- the past episodes um, about scripture. Yeah, a lot of catechetical deep dives. Yeah, yeah. yeah yep. We talked about the Old Testament manna, and then we did the feeding of 5,000, and we're about to go into John 6. Mm-hmm. But we like to break it up with just the real life, like struggles that people have had with the Eucharist, uh, with the real presence, but also like how has God kind of transformed you um, in your encounter with him in the Eucharist. So we're excited that you're able to be here with us. I'm grateful that you guys invited me on the show. I was a little bit intimidated when you first asked. Why? (laughs) Just coming off of your Lenten Parish mission, which I should take the brief moment to say thank you so much for coming to visit (laughs) lovely St. Clair of Assisi. And um, for those who haven't experienced uh, Parish Mission with Fred and Kara, it was just a total delight of seeing their vocations at work and hearing you both speak. You're, You're very gifted speakers and... More than that, just having your prayerful presence, I think, really, really opened people up to hear to hear what it is that you were desiring to speak or what the Lord wanted to speak through you. Yeah. And then, why? Well, I thank was, you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Why I, I was intimidated is because we're in the middle of Lent, which is a busy season for priests, and then uh, Easter, you know, Holy Week comes after that, and then I was going on pilgrimage to France, and I was like when am I going to breathe, you know? I'm glad now that we're in the midst of Easter that we're celebrating the Paschal joy and just Mm -hmm. I'm I'm more at peace. So I'm no longer intimidated. I'm very grateful to be here. Good. And I can see that too. I was going (laughs) to tell you that when you joined. I'm like, you just seem seem very joyful today, Father. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. And we're jealous that you got to go to the Sioux and visit one of our favorite saints and best friends there. Yeah, Exactly. uh, She's really special. Shout out to St. Clair of Assisi, though, because honestly, you mentioned like still celebrating. I feel like Kara and I are still celebrating from our time there. Mm -hmm. Like we just, we really felt like a part of that parish in just four days and Mm -hmm. really enjoyed so much of our time there and being there. And it was, it was kind of hard to leave. Like it was a grace. It it Mm -hmm. really was. It just felt like wow, the Lord really showed up and yeah. we were just, yeah, so grateful to be there and grateful to have you join us. Yeah. yeah that's we'll, co- awesome. we'll come back anytime. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Allison okay. will be hitting you up. Yeah. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, so father kind of diving right in. I'm mm-hmm. curious, like I, I'm curious to know, we got a chance to talk when we were there with you in St. Louis, kind of about your conversion story, but I'm curious to know specifically with the Eucharist, like how has the how has Christ's pursuit of you really shown up in the Eucharist or in Mass and adoration? And like mm-hmm. how has that led you to where you are now? Yeah, I love the question. You know, if you're gonna say that as the catechism does, that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian right. life. I mean, you've really got to be able to nail that down in terms of practicals. That just can't be an abstract statement. You have to be able to defend how it is that the Eucharist is the source and summit of my Christian life. I mean, it Mm -hmm. it can't be this abstract thing. So 
I just think it's a really appropriate question. Um, I think where it starts for me, and I don't know how personal, you know, my story really isn't all that interesting, except that it's the story of Jesus's work in my life. And so um, as a chosen and beloved disciple, I'm really grateful to share it. When I was in high school, I, oh, I know. I was dating this girl, very fascinated with her, and we were both mm-hmm. in, in the youth group. And long story bearable is just that the associate pastor at our parish noticed that, you know, we were sort of pursuing the Lord together. And he invited us to come to daily mass once a week. That's a that's a bad way to say that. He invited us to come to mass like during the week, once a week. Yeah. yeah. And we'd go out for breakfast afterwards and... I loved with father with father. Yeah. Okay. Which is awesome. You know, and, um, we, I didn't ever, I never realized that there was mass without music until that time in my life, which (laughs) I've sort of always enjoyed that (laughs) since then being 16 years old and, um, how that progressed is, you know, I really enjoyed mass with my girlfriend, 16 years old. And then, um, I started going to mass on my own little by little without her. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably by the end of my junior year of high school, maybe like March of my junior year of high school, I was going to daily mass on my own. Yeah. And then all of my senior year. And I just like, I had known the teachings of the church that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. But it wasn't until like I was going and worshiping regularly that that became so profoundly true. And that I got to experience real intimacy with Jesus Every time I received the Eucharist, I'd go back to that pew and it was like the best day, the best moment of my life, you know? Yeah. And every day was being renewed with the Lord's mercies. And, you know, Mass is at 6 a.m. I'm 17 years old and I'm waking <laughs> up, you know, like at 4.50 to get some stuff done, to eat breakfast because I'm just a growing boy. You know, like I have yeah. to eat breakfast early enough to, not, to make the fast, you know, and then go to football workouts after Mass. And there was just like grace upon grace that God was trying to feed my soul at that time. And this is maybe a point that I want to make a little bit more strongly is that I needed to learn to love the Eucharist in the context of the Mass. Mm -hmm. And that was just so important for me, especially the reception of him um, in the context of the Mass. Did you not before? Well, one of the, I don't know if how deep you want to go into this rabbit hole. But one one of my fears with like the Eucharistic revival is that there's not going to be enough insistence on worship of the Lord and reception of the Lord at mass. Like we're taking the Eucharist as if it's a, an object separated from yeah. the mass. And right. mm-hmm. for me, like source and summit is that there's this dynamic movement of the heart through the liturgy itself the reading of the word of God, the kneeling there during the Eucharistic prayer, this climax and consummation that happens when we receive him in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And I had to be sort of led into that in the, you know, the routine of regular worship at mass, um, even when I was 17 years old. And I couldn't have described it at that time, but I was being taught and led by the liturgy which was just so important for my my soul and my formation. I think that's beautiful. One thing that stands out to me is how you started this. You're like, I feel like my story is kind of typical. 
I actually don't think it's very typical. Like maybe as a cradle Catholic, I always think my testimony is really boring. So maybe that's like, I feel that like mm-hmm. who actually wants to hear mm-hmm. this? You know what I mean? Sure. But I feel like your your testimony, like if only that was typical, if only so many people began going and having this like deep reverence for mass and like waking up at 4.30 in the morning to go to mass. Yeah, I'm reasonably mm-hmm. confident when I was that age, I was probably going to bed around yeah. 4 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Lord was just doing profound things in yes. my life. And th- why that's also important too, you know, that the Eucharist isn't just this abstract object because it began to change my moral life as well, how I right. spoke and acted. Because I'm a teenage boy, like grave sin is lurking around every corner and I'm not, right. I wasn't innocent of that. And there's like, I want to receive the Lord worthily in the Blessed Sacrament. You know, I I want to be in communion with God. Like that has to be at the root and the center of my life. And so if I want that every day, I have to change what I'm striving for. I have to pursue noble things. I have to Mm -hmm. pursue virtue and holiness. And so Mm -hmm. I can't have it my way and also be in communion with God. You know, it's like... yeah my will and his will don't always line up. And I was finding those places in my life where my will was at variance with what his will was, you know, as Fulton Sheen says, like the horizontal bar meets the vertical bar and makes the cross. And here's the suffering and pain I was experiencing in my own life is that my heart is being shredded in two. And I'm, I'm being asked like, will you follow me? Will you let these things go? Seek first the kingdom of God and let all these other things be given you besides. And um, yeah, I just remember remember after falling in love with Jesus in the Eucharist, I began to fall in love with Jesus and healing me in the sacrament of reconciliation. And I needed Mm -hmm. those two things side by side. I really couldn't have had one without the other. It's like I needed Jesus in every way that he wanted to redeem me And the church gives us these amazing sacraments. Jesus gives us these amazing sacraments um, so that we can be whole. Mm. I like how you point out that receiving the Eucharist is supposed to change something in us. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, I I think it's St. Thomas Aquinas that makes that point, if I'm remembering correctly. But like, it should change the way we think. It should change the way we live. It should change the way we act. And yet there's a disconnect between oftentimes we, we go every Sunday we receive communion, mm-hmm. but then we're cussing the people in the parking lot or, you know, we're complaining about, mm-hmm. you know, the singing mm-hmm. or whatever. And I've had masses like that where, you know, it, it's a frantic rush to get the kids ready in the morning. Mm-hmm. You got six kids. Nobody can find their shoes. Everybody over outgrew their pants. That happened overnight. And you're like, <laughs> you're just screaming. We're trying to go to church. And then right. you walk in and you want to look holy. Look how holy I am. But, <laughs> but you find yourself like criticizing everything yeah. that's happening around you. And I'm confessing, since you're a priest, I'm confessing my sins to you. Here we go. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, why is nobody happy to be here but me? Meanwhile, I'm mm-hmm. super crabby <laughs> and I'm missing the point of what's happening. Right. Like, Receiving Christ in the Eucharist is supposed to bring about a change in our lives. What what do you think was at the heart and the core of what brought about that change in you? And what can we all listeners learn from that? Because the same thing is supposed to happen in us. And how can we get there? Yeah, I think so many people are, and myself included, both now and then, just intimidated by the 
feeling inadequate as a Catholic. It's like, grew up a cradle Catholic, but I don't feel like I can really defend my faith. And I hear that mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I just think that the Lord's, he's not withholding his generous hand because you don't know anything about Vatican II. <laughs> or the council of Trent. it's like i don't think that the lord cares (laughs) yeah it might be it might be helpful for you to know those things it also might not be and the like the lord wants Mm. to be generous with you as you are today and when i was 17 years old i knew that the decisions i was making weren't making me happy and i wanted to be holy i wanted to be close to the lord and i think that's what was like really driving me it's like i just i want to i want to follow i want to pursue i want like i just living out of a place of profound desire for god and his goodness mm-hmm. and i don't know if we let ourselves live out of that place of sort of childlike desire it's like mm-hmm. we make caveats and we double back and we say well i don't know like how can i be married and with six children and be close to god experience these mountaintop um sort of experiences um and i think we we sort of excuse ourselves from like great holiness because we don't think we can do it you know and first of all you can't do it it's what god's going to do in you and you just need to give him permission Mm -hmm. but at least for me i i not that i was making these revolutionary decisions of my own accord but i just knew like the lord wants to do something and i would i would pray lord show me what it is and give me the courage to say yes. Yeah. And so little by little, like self-knowledge is such an important part of the spiritual life. Little by little, I'd start to see like, oh, this is off. And I wasn't embarrassed by it, but it was one more thing that I could offer to the Lord. Like, okay, I see that I'm, I keep insulting the same people over and over again. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm such I'm such a bully. It's like <laughs> I, I don't want to do that anymore, Lord. You need right. you need to soften my heart and my tongue so that I can love them well. And like mm. my heart became transformed because my actions were transformed, you know? Yeah. Nice. The music I yeah. listened to, the things that I consumed. I stopped watching TV when I was 17 years old. Um, like there was things that were happening all around me, just a confluence of things. And I couldn't have anticipated it, but I, I felt like in the moment I was really trying to make decisions to follow the Lord more closely. Hmm. I commend you for that because I remember when I was 16, 17 years old, like I had had encounters with the Lord and I'm like, oh, I want to I want to pray more. But that was really the extent of like, my mm. action and you saying for me mass and confession went hand in hand and like they were so key mm-hmm. i think for me it was like i was still trapped in some of these sins and i only wanted to go to confession if the priest wouldn't know me so it was like you know the the occasional retreat yeah and whereas the grace from confession like that also plays into like the fruits of your spiritual life transforming you leading you out of those sins you're stuck in yeah. so for you i see it just this this young age for you it was the action and as fred you were saying like what exactly did that for you and kind of helped to transform your heart it reminded me of blessed carlo acutis he says the more eucharist we receive the more Mm. like christ yes he's got a picture right there of carlo (laughs) acutis 
the more Eucharist we receive, the more like Christ we become and we get a foretaste of heaven. And mm. so it, I, f- I feel like in your frequency of mass and your reception of, of the Eucharist as well as the grace of confession mm-hmm. it's like that that is becoming is transforming your heart and you're becoming more like christ in those things so that's such a beautiful witness at such a young age yeah mm. and i had a a malleable heart and this is yeah i keep coming back to this recently jesus's words that the childlike will inherit the kingdom of god and if i one of the things that I witness as a priest, and I experience, I'm 29 years old, right? Like I'm four years into my vocation in like a really defined, definite way. Um, and it feels hard at times. Like there's a little bit of discouragement and even like bordering on hopelessness is like, well, this is how it's always going to be. And like, mm-hmm. we're going to trudge this road and, you know, like the Lord's going to be part of it, but it's just kind of a valley of tears, you know? Yeah. And if I've experienced that in a small part, I hear that in the cries of the people of God in different ways, whether they've experienced, you know, whatever family brokenness, divorce, um, loss, grief, or just kind of like the monotony and the the suffering of life. It wears people down. Mm-hmm. And our hearts are no longer childlike. They're, there's not this sense of wonder and awe. There's not this sense of reliance and dependence on our parents, um, you know, as God, as our father. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate you commending me, Kara, at the time. It's like, I didn't know what was happening, except that there was this desire in my heart to give myself and to be received by somebody who loved me. Mm-hmm. And I think as these sort of sophisticated spiritual adults, and I mean that in the most pejorative, negative way possible, <laughs> we, we box out God because we can kind of control things and we set these artificial limits to what he can do. Right. The worst thing that you can have in the gospel is a hard heart. And I think the Mm -hmm. world can beat us down and give us a hard heart just over time. And um, if that's the case for any of us, like just praying for an anointing of the Holy Spirit to soften those places in our heart um, against ourselves, against God, against um, people in our lives. I think that's really important so that the Lord can break in. I feel like so often in just every other area of our life, it's like you're attaining maturity. And I guess that's still true in like the interior life and your spiritual life and stuff. But while you're attaining maturity, you're also wanting to stay like a child. Mm. And it kind of reminds me of this, even just this morning, like I was on the phone with somebody and my, my kids kept coming up to me, mom, 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 who are you talking to? And I was like, can I, can I just have a conversation? So I was getting really frustrated. Mm-hmm. And then like a couple seconds later, my daughter comes up to me and she, she does again. And I have this initial reaction to be like, please stop, you know? And she mm-hmm. just goes, I just wanted to tell you. I think you're really special and I really, and I really love you. And I just, you know, and like all of these, like she just starts complimenting me and it kind of broke down that like initial wall, um, that reaction as an adult that like it's, I want to like jump on that. But as a child, she's Mm -hmm. just like, she has no wall. She's just like, I want to come and like bear my heart to you. Mm -hmm. And so while we're attaining all of these things, like, you know, I want to be mature in communication. I want to, you know, how, have all these life goals and like mm-hmm. ascend and these ways that don't really matter in the long, in the long scheme of thing, mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of thing, they mm-hmm. don't matter mm-hmm. while also 
maintaining that childlike heart and that childlike spirit to just like bear your heart to God yeah. mm -hmm. like you would to a parent. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. And <clears throat> Christian maturity, you know, we grow up and especially in America, and I can speak to that just because we're here, but you are bred to be as independent as possible. You know, yeah. like, uh, like that's just the mantra of, of America. Like you don't, you should never have to rely on anybody for <laughs> anything. Mm -hmm. And that is just so antithetical to the gospel message. I mean, you pray, we pray every day, give us this day our daily bread. It's like, mm -hmm. I've never been hungry one, one day in my life. And you better believe I'm always going to make enough money to buy food, at least at the very least bread, you right. know, but we make that plea to God, like, give us this day our daily bread because I can't do it myself. Mm -hmm. Do we believe that? Mm -hmm. Like, do I believe that the daily bread that's going to nourish my soul, I can't produce or make or buy? Yeah. I have to rely on God to give it to me. And I just... I don't think we actually do believe that. I, and I really don't. I mean, I'm, I'm confessing that is that yeah. I seize and I grasp all of the time yeah. Um, because I don't believe that the Lord will give it to me. And so um, what Christian maturity looks like is radical dependence on God. Mm -hmm. Which is like a child. Which is like a child. Exactly. Mm -hmm. As I have a eight month old baby who can do absolutely nothing. Like she's one hundred percent reliant on on BJ mm -hmm. and I. Yeah. And 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 for her, there's a real security. Like there actually is when you're holding her and you're feeding her and Yeah. She's not there wondering like, do people like me? Right. <laughs> like, um, um, am I doing it right? You know? Mm -hmm. These lies aren't being fed to her because she's secure in her her identity as a daughter, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. the lies haven't started yet. And yet we live in this insecurity and fear and anxiety all the time as I, these, you know, quote unquote, sophisticated Christian adults. It's like, yeah. Get rid of that. It's not right. good. The fruit's not good. That's for sure. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. No, that's really good. So then how has your, I guess, how has, how your encounter began um, at such a young age? How has that then led you down this road to, I mean, I know you you just confess that you do struggle with just like giving all reliance to the Lord. And, you know, you, we all kind of have that area where we think I can mm -hmm. do this kind of my, on my own. But how has that led you to this life as a priest? Because even as a priest, there is like I am I am relying on you, God. I'm relying on this call and I'm setting aside the other areas of my life and the other things I could be doing. So how has that led you down this vocation? Yeah. Similar, you know, as I was growing to love Jesus in the Eucharist. The Lord pulled a fast one on me and I quickly became enamored with the priest, you know, mm -hmm. like you can't have the, as Eucharist. opposed to your girlfriend who you were, uh, yeah, going isn't, to that, isn't that disgusting that the Lord would do that to me? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, and, let's go get breakfast. We'll leave my, we'll leave the girlfriend behind though. <laughs> oh my gosh. So then I just fell in love with Jesus in the Eucharist and realized, well, you don't have the Eucharist and you don't have confession unless you have the priest. Mm -hmm. And there, there was never really a priest I was super, super close to in my life. Um, but that was like what was said on my heart. And so I began pursuing that vocation. I did enter seminary. I didn't know at that time if that's what I wanted to do. I, in, in earnest, I did not want to do that. However, mm -hmm. I thought that's what the Lord was placing before me. And I wanted to seek his will. 
So I, yeah. I said, okay, Lord, I'll at least give you a year at seminary and we'll see what you do with that time. And probably by the end of my first year of seminary, I would have told you, I'm not just like, I'm, I'm going to be a priest. It was like, I was made to be a priest. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I could, I could tell like, this is what I was made to do. And um, I still think that's the case. Um, if the Lord has given me five talents in my, you know, in my life, I, I get to use all five of those talents as a priest. And yeah. Um, so again, just being generous with what, how the Lord has called me and continues to call me. Um, seminary was a, just a really pivotal time for growth, go, growing in Christian friendships and those secure attachments to other people and to the Lord and also detaching from kind of all the things that have been um, negative in my life. And I think that's just the, the give and the take of the Christian life. It's a little bit of John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. Mm-hmm. And that decreasing is often a little bit painful, a little bit purgative, but it's absolutely yeah. part of the Christian life. It's one that we don't like to talk about a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even now as a priest, it's like there's, you have to say no so that you can say yes to something that's greater. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just like, you know, I celebrate, we have a daily mass at 630 in the morning. So I was like, I have to say no to things in the evenings so that mm-hmm. I can have a fruitful and attentive reception of the celebration of the mass and reception of the Eucharist the next right. morning. And um, just really safeguarding what intimacy with the Lord looks like in every facet of life. That's such a good witness to discerning vocations and living out a vocation because you said, you know, I have to give up one good so that there could be something greater. Mm-hmm. And it's like the single life is is great. I mean, single life meaning like consecrated virginity is great. Mm-hmm. Marriage and family life with children, that's great. So it's not that you were like, oh, priesthoods, it's going to be way better. It's like I'm sacrificing, you know, this good for a greater good because this is what God's calling me to. Mm-hmm. That's such mm-hmm. a good witness mm-hmm. yeah. for anybody discerning religious life. Totally. What What's that moment like for you? I think this is an interesting question for listeners because they don't have a perspective on this because we aren't priests. <laughs> uh, when you say those words, quoting Paul from first Corinthians 10, this is my body given up for you. Mm-hmm. What is that moment? Like we watched you celebrate four masses in one in a row. day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we were at St. Clair's uh-huh. and there wasn't one that was like on the fourth one, he was definitely not as reverent as the first one. That yeah, we did talk- not happen. No, we <laughs> talked about you after everyone. We're like, man, Father's homily last time was way better. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. I actually think your homily got better with each yeah, one. Yeah. But Like a good wine. But <laughs> yeah, but it was also like you emphasized it a different point mm-hmm. in each one. But I'm just curious, after having watched you celebrate four masses in one day, uh, what's that like? And how do you keep whatever that is that you have in that moment alive and burning bright i have a lot to say and i don't even know where to begin but <laughs> but maybe even yesterday because it, it struck me in a new way here at it, mother's day i'm preaching I, I had to preach a homily three times and it was a little bit different every time but between that the second mass i was celebrating and i said the words this is my body and i'm thinking about mothers as i'm praying those words and i'm like 
gosh, how beautiful that mothers get to say that about their children. This is my yeah. body. And so like God is showing us, mothers are show us, showing us something about how God loves us mm-hmm. is that he offers his body for us. He doesn't hold anything back. And so then I got to preach about that the third time I gave that homily. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, even those words that, that Paul gives us that, you know, echoing the words of the Lord, it is just so profound. It's, all right, again, the Eucharist, source and summit. It's an inexhaustible source and summit because it's like a mystery, not to be solved, but to be surrendered to. And so I'm constantly drawing new insights from those words themselves. Quick anecdote. I remember my first mass and I'm 25 years old, you know, I've just been so excited to celebrate mass, you Mm -hmm. know, for the last however many years preparing to be a priest and everybody I know and love is at this mass. And, um, we're getting to the point that I'm going to say these words. And, uh, I just remember holding the bread in my hands saying them like I had just been ordained a priest the, the day before I can smell right. the chrism on my hands I can like yeah. I can smell and cool. I say these words and if I said them a day before it wouldn't have worked like I wasn't a priest yeah. and then 24 hours later I say them now and apparently this bread had just turned into God right. and I, I'm looking at it after and I pause I'm like they I said, said Andrew they all believe it hold it up like the church believes that this is the Lord. I'm like, you have to believe it too. And then I'm like, I hold it up for everybody to reverence. Like, this is my body given up for you. Do this in memory of me. Hold it up. And the bells ring and everybody looks and worships. And I was like, mm. I can't believe that you gave me this power, Lord. Like, wow, I get to be an instrument. I get mm. to be your hands and voice here on earth as a priest in a way that you, Fred, cannot be. You won't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just this profound union, you know, and I could go more into it, but just like this being united with Jesus in a very profound way. Because I'm not saying in persona, Andrew, this mm-hmm. is my body. Yeah. You know, I do offer myself. I try to. But I'm saying in the person of Christ, this is my body given up for you. And to feel that. Um, unity as a priest is a really, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know what the, I don't know if I could capture it, but. Um, Sounds humbling. Yeah. It's definitely humbling. Yeah. That'd be a great yeah. word. Yeah. 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 I, I would have loved to have heard your homilies too, because I'm a firm believer. We, we just recorded a, a different show, but one of the scriptures we landed on is one of my favorites from Hebrews. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Mm. Uh, and what is that joy? It's you, Father. It's Kara. It's me. It's everybody listening. But yeah. I don't think anyone understands those words more profoundly than mothers right. who literally endure the cross of pregnancy and delivery, especially mm-hmm. for the joy of that child. Yeah. And I think that's so beautiful that you made that connection. Mm-hmm. And uh and their body is given up for their child too. Yeah. And I just, I think that's a beautiful connection mm-hmm. there that you made. But I also think that applies to the Eucharist. Like when we receive communion, when we go up, mm-hmm. do we take those words to heart? This is my body given up for you. <clears throat> Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was you. That's what you're receiving in that host. How mm-hmm. often do we think that way? You get to participate in that mystery in a way that I'll never be able to. Right. And I'm, I rejoice in that. I mean, that's a beautiful thing to be able to 
make that available and be used by God to do so for right. us. Right. Yeah, and this is a practical means to that goal that you're desiring is that people would, as they quote-unquote go up to receive communion, like what does it look like for me to enter into that with my heart and mind? This is my commentary on the Eucharistic revival, really taking a look at the Mass. How you and I aren't angels. Like I, we could sit here on this podcast and you might have the most cerebral person out there who can understand every word that we're saying, but their heart still might not believe it. You know, mm -hmm. like they need to teach, taste and touch and feel and see mm -hmm. and hear. I mean, this is why the liturgy is so important for us is that I need the smells and the bells as it mm -hmm. were, yeah. yeah, the sights and the sounds to help me believe like i need it to help me believe i need to kneel i need to stand i need to sit i need it all yeah. and this would be my hope is that you know whether we're talking about certainly preaching but music uh, by the way that we dress you know by the way that we conduct ourselves during mass all of it is hopefully helping me consciously believe that what i'm receiving is not a piece of bread Right. That yeah. it's the it is the body and blood, soul, and divinity of of our Lord, and um, I think you know, generally speaking, in America, there's kind of a, a beige liturgical celebration. It's um, I don't, I'm not, I don't, not throwing stones at anyone or anything, and I, I'm not, I'm really not bitter about it. I just think that mm -hmm. there's a real opportunity to take a look. You know, I think the way the Eucharistic revival is happening because there's a lack of. Eucharistic devotion, obviously. Right. But we need to take a serious look at is the Mass, as we celebrate it, really helping lend us to this belief, you know, our, our practice, our cult around the mm -hmm. Eucharist. Yeah. You yeah. really, you don't know it, but you actually touched on, I feel like, what's been a theme over several episodes of My Lord and My God, um, which has been that we are sensory beings. We need, we need totally. those things to believe. Mm -hmm. So that's wonderful. Well, we're almost out of time, Father. What is one thing that you want to leave listeners with when it comes to um, devotion of the Eucharist or bringing, you know, what they're bringing to Christ in the Eucharist, their encounter? What's one piece of advice you would give them? I have never gone to Eucharistic adoration and regretted it. And I think I'm really led to believe a lot of times that it won't be worth it. Like there's this voice in my head that says, you don't need to go pray. Like you don't need to walk mm -hmm. across the parking lot. You don't need to go down to that church to go to adoration. It's just going to be a waste of your time. Mm -hmm. And the Lord is never outdone in generosity. Give him the five minutes that you have and allow him to bless you however he desires to. Um, don't, don't confine the great mystery that he is to a box, um, let him loose and um, let him be loved. So that's kind of my, my exhortation. Yeah. Um, if you're feeling even a little bit of an impulse to adore, to worship our Lord in the Eucharist, if he's exposed or if he's in a tabernacle, um, follow that intuition because that doesn't just come from you. That, that is the Holy Spirit testifying in you um, um so say yes yeah amen that's beautiful well thank you so much for joining us again we've had father andrew hour from saint Clair of assisi in st louis and it has been such a joy it's a gift thank you guys for having me on i'm so excited um, to continue to collaborate with you guys in whatever way that looks like absolutely thank you father bless you guys <laughs>